once more give us your challenge above our noisy day and come to lead us forward along your holy way. Today, I want to ask you to use your imagination to think about Palm Sunday not only as some long-ago event, but to imagine it happening now and you were there. To wonder, who would I be in this story? Would I be one of those marching along with Jesus? Or maybe in the crowd cheering them on? Or would I be hanging back, worried that this might get me into trouble? Would I be one of those religious leaders quietly being critical, saying, this isn't the way we do things? Would I be one of those soldiers watching on, trying to maintain the status quo? Today, let's think of Palm Sunday as not just an old story, but as a reality that happens again and again. You know, Jesus had been traveling around the countryside of Galilee with his followers, teaching and preaching and stirring up trouble with the religious authorities. And people found him compelling. People were asking, who is this guy who makes me feel more alive and more hopeful and more free? His disciples sensed his power and they started to think that it was pretty great that they had gotten in with him on the ground floor. They thought that when Jesus became king, they were going to have a place in the palace too. But then Jesus tells them that they have got it all wrong. That to follow him means suffering. It might even mean losing your life. And then, right after he says this to them, they start to head toward Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets, as Jesus once said. And when they get there, their entrance into that city is what becomes known as Palm Sunday. This ragtag group of outsiders heading into the heavily defended capital is often called, at least among churchy folks, as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But I've always wondered, what is triumphant about this? It's never made sense to me, because I know how things end, right? To me, this parade seems more like the gauntlet of the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma back in the 60s when police used force to turn back to beat those civil rights protesters. Seems more like that than any kind of triumph. One of the truths of human history is that imperial power never gives up its power willingly. You know how this week ends. 
Jesus gets arrested, his followers are afraid, and they run away. He's unwilling to fight back or defend himself against the authorities, and he is crucified, killed on a cross, which was the capital punishment method of his day. What is there to celebrate in this, I ask? But this year, it finally came to me. The victory in Palm Sunday, the victory in what was called Bloody Sunday, the marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the victory in yesterday's March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C., and in the at last count, 839, 839 other locations around the world. The victory I now see is in the marching itself. It is in the recognition, in the realization, in the courage of people yesterday and down through the ages who have been compelled to put their bodies and sometimes their lives on the line to stand up for what they know is right with no assurance that they are going to prevail or win, especially not in the short term. When you choose to march, you are saying, I may not be able to control the outcome, but what I can control is what I do with my own body and my own life. And I choose to act. I choose to show up. The victory is in joining the fight in the first place. Of course, there are different ways of doing this, different ways of showing up. There are many different ways to fight for what is right. However you do it, isn't there something powerful about voting with your feet, in joining with others and saying, we are here See us, hear us, join us, and be part of the change we need to see in our world. Sometimes it seems there is so much power, entrenched power, arrayed against what is good and true and right. It's easy to feel resigned to how things are. But human history has been shaped over and over again by people who used what power they had, their bodies and their voices and their presence, to stand up and little by little change things. People who trusted that they were part of something larger than their own individual lives. Back during the civil rights movement, Medgar Evers spoke to this. He said, you can kill a man, but you can't kill an idea. We need young and fearless prophets like Jesus and Moses and Martin Luther King Jr. Like Medgar Evers and those young people from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. We need them to show us the way, 
to speak truth, to power, which is what prophets have always done, which is why being a prophet is such a risky occupation. Because power, you know, doesn't like to be criticized or threatened. A minute ago, you heard Emma Gonzalez criticize our leaders when all they are offering is thoughts and prayers. Sometimes all I have is thoughts and prayers. Sometimes I feel like all I can do is pray and hold people in my heart and in my mind. But that's kind of my job. It's not the whole job, but that's a big part of it. Can I just state the obvious that we didn't elect our leaders to pray? Sometimes it seems like we didn't elect them to think either. But that's another sermon. We elected them to do things, good things and right things. Not that we need to wait for our leaders to lead. We each have things we can do. There's a piece of artwork on the mantle in my office, a gift from Richard Smith. It's an African proverb. It says, when you pray, move your feet. When you pray, move your feet. When you pray, then do something. Put those prayers into action. See that you are meant to be God's hands and feet in the world. I know it's easy to be discouraged these days. Our world is kind of a mess, if you haven't noticed. There is so much that is broken and in need of repair. But has there ever been a time when that was not the case? Each age has its struggles. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to resign ourselves to these troubles and say, well, what can I do? Or are we going to be people of hope and faith and love? People who walk the talk. In the Jewish tradition, there's this understanding that the exodus from Egypt that long walk from slavery to freedom. That it was not a one-time event. Michael Walzer wrote, standing on the parted shores of history, we still believe what we were taught ever before we stood at Sinai's foot. That wherever we go, it is eternally Egypt. That there is a better place, a promised land, that the winding way to that promise passes through the wilderness, that there is no way to get from there to here except by joining hands, walking together. This journey from slavery to freedom, from brokenness to healing and liberation, transformation, it calls us to leave what we know, to walk away from what is safe and predictable, 
to join with others as we make our way through the wilderness and toward the promised land. You know, don't you, there comes a time. The poet Mary Oliver says it's already late enough. And there comes a time when you know what you have to do and you begin. You start putting one foot in front of the other. It's why Jesus and his followers left the safe and comfortable countryside and went to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to speak truth to power. It's why civil rights marchers crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge. It's why Martin went to Memphis where he was killed. He went there to strike, to stand with striking garbage collectors to lend his voice to their cause. He went because he could and because he had to. It's why so many people took to the streets yesterday because they had no other choice than to stand up and march for their lives and say this madness of killing our people of killing our children this madness has to stop none of us can do everything but each of us can do something if you can't march you can write letters you can lift your voice you can support the marchers and the activists. You can send money. You can reach out to one person in need. You can be kind. You can be a force for peace and goodness. You can have faith that though the journey may be long and hard, we will get there. But you know, the critical moment isn't when you arrive. It's when you decide to begin. Let no one be deluded that a knowledge of the path can substitute for putting one foot in front of the other. And if you feel tired and if you feel weak and worn and you need some inspiration... Just look to these young and fearless prophets in our midst. Those who through the ages have appeared to lead us on the way. Prophets like Moses and Jesus and Martin Luther King Jr., of course. And in our own day, prophets like Emma Gonzalez and 11-year-old Naomi Wadler who spoke in Washington yesterday, and all those other young people who are leading us out of this dark night of violence. Our human history is a long struggle of people longing to be free. Remember the recent example of the people of South Africa where for so long a minority population of European immigrants invented a system called apartheid to oppress the African majority, 
They put systems in place to make that oppression last forever. But though injustice may have its day, there is a longing in the human heart for freedom that will not be denied forever. Though the arc of the moral universe may be long, it does bend toward justice. This was the faith of those South Africans who struggled and marched and resisted and suffered until finally that oppressive system came tumbling down and they earned their freedom. Along the way, as they marched, they sang freedom songs that expressed their faith and helped them to keep their courage. Songs like, Freedom is Coming, and Siahamba, Zulu for, We are marching in the light of God. Let this be our faith, too. That when you march, when you take a stand for justice and for truth, you never walk alone. That you have companions on the way. And that you are marching in the presence of that power which is always on the side of love. Always on the side of justice. That the only way to get from here to there is by joining hands, marching together, marching in the light of God. Amen.